The scripture reading this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Before um, I get into the sermon, I want to share a few words with you as your pastor. This um, past mm, 10 days, really, um, our denomination has uh, been in session at the highest level, the, what we call the General Conference. It's the highest legislative body of our church. There are 1,000 delegates that come from all over the world, and they have been at Portland, Oregon, uh, basically uh, writing our book of discipline, which is the law book of our church. And um, as many of you have probably been aware that one of the most controversial and contentious items that was on the agenda for the general conference was the subject of homosexuality. That has been a, a longstanding uh, issue for the church and uh, the church is very much divided over over the the issue, and so there has been talk for a number of months about maybe the church actually dividing over this, no longer being united but maybe untied, and um, so there there was some question whether or not that would occur. There rumors abounded. The Council of Bishops uh, during General Conference got together and uh, they were consulting with one another and. Uh, came up with a with a recommendation, but there there were rumors uh, surrounding their their gatherings and wondering if they were in fact uh, writing up a kind of a proposal for how the church might be divided. Uh, suffice it to say, the the church basically at this point uh, has decided to stay put where we are for the moment, and a commission is going to be established by the Council of Bishops to uh, to really deal with this in depth. And and my sense is that probably the average person uh, in the United Methodist Church doesn't really f know what the stand of the church is. And I thought it would be helpful for you to know what that is. And, and then I'd like to read just a small portion of the bishop's recommendation so you know what, what the church is planning to do in the months ahead. First of all, there, there are several sections in the bullet in, in the discipline uh, that refer to homosexuality. One, of course, deals with the ordination of, of clergy. And according to our discipline, uh, self-avowed practicing homosexuals, that's the terminology that's used, self-avowed practicing homosexuals cannot be ordained, uh, cannot be licensed as local pastors, and cannot be appointed to local churches. Uh, in another place in the discipline, it states that same-sex weddings cannot occur in any of our local churches. And then in another place in the discipline, I believe it's in the social principles, it, 
it indicates that the practice of homosexuality is considered incompatible with Christian teaching. Now, that's not all of what is said about homosexuality. I want to read from paragraph 161 in our discipline that states these words. All persons, regardless of age, gender, marital status, or sexual orientation, are entitled to have their human and civil rights ensured and to be protected against violence. It goes on to say, we affirm that all persons are individuals of sacred worth created in the image of God. We affirm that God's grace is available to all. We implore families and churches not to reject or condemn lesbian and gay members and friends. We commit ourselves to be in ministry for and with all persons. Now that is our current stand in the discipline. There are some other places where the issue is addressed, but those are the, the key places in our discipline. This is what the bishops have written in terms of their recommendation for the church. And this was approved by the general conference. We recommend that the general conference defer all votes on human sexuality and refer this entire subject to a special commission named by the Council of Bishops to develop a complete examination and possible revision of every paragraph in our book of discipline regarding human sexuality. We continue to hear from many people on the debate over sexuality that our current discipline contains language which is contradictory, unnecessarily hurtful, and inadequate for the variety of local, regional, and global contexts. We will name such a commission to include persons from every region of our United Methodist Church and will include representation from differing perspectives on the debate. We commit to maintain an ongoing dialogue with this commission as they do their work, including clear objectives and outcomes. Should they complete their work in time for a called general conference, then we will call a two to three day gathering before the 2020 general conference. I felt like it was important that you know where the church stands and what the church plans to do. And that's why I wanted to share with you these words from the general conference. And I believe that uh, uh, part of what I've read to you this morning will relate to the sermon. Let us turn now to God in prayer. Dear Lord, it is clear that well-meaning followers of you are conflicted and divided over this important subject. And so, Lord, we pray for your wisdom and your guidance, especially with those who will eventually be a part of this commission to decide where the church needs to stand and where it needs to go for the future. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will be a part of all the deliberations, but most importantly, Lord, we pray that you would be a part of our lives as individuals, regardless of what the church ultimately decides. It's very important, Lord, that, that we have your heart, that your spirit be a part of our spirit, and that we understand what you are calling us to be and do in this world. So, Lord, we pray for your guidance in our own individual lives. 
As we look at the scripture this morning from Matthew's gospel, we pray that we might find wisdom there. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have to say. As Jesus spoke to his disciples so long ago, may you now speak to us and give us your marching orders. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This scripture that uh, comes from Matthew's gospel seems to me is uh, pretty clear what Jesus uh, is saying. He's saying go. And in fact, the word go is uh, pretty important because it appears many times in the Bible. The Bible is full of examples of God telling people to go somewhere. Uh, we can go back maybe even really to the beginning of Adam and Eve. They were told to go, get out of the garden. Uh, but, but Noah, remember Noah? Noah lived in the desert and God was saying to Moses, go into the ark, you and all your household. He had it said, I want you to build this ark. I, I'm going to do something really powerful and I've, I've got a job for you. And there he was in the desert, had to build an ark. And then God says, go into the ark. He, you know, Noah had to trust God, had to trust God enough to build the ark, number one, and number two, to get into the ark when it wasn't even raining. And then you have Abraham. Remember Abraham? God told Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abraham was not a poor man. He had a lot of cattle. He had a lot, he had a lot to give up. And there God was saying, I want you to go somewhere. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. I want you to just follow me. Go. And I want you to leave everything behind, everything that you're familiar with. I want you to leave your family, your kindred. I want you to leave all your cattle and, and all, the, all the riches that you have accumulated in this world. I want you to leave it all behind. I want you to follow me. That's what he was asking Abraham to do. And remember from the burning bush, God says to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. Now go and I will be with your mouth. <laughs> he had to say that because you see, uh, Moses started making excuses and he started saying, well, I can't, can't talk, you know, how am I going to go to Pharaoh? And God says, don't worry, I'll be with your mouth. In other words, go. I'm, I'm going to give you Aaron to help you out. But Moses was being asked to go to that place where, where you know, he could be looking at death. He had killed a, one of the taskmasters, uh, uh, this, you know, that was overseeing the slaves. And, you know, he was a maybe a... a, a you know, a criminal. And there he was going to go back and he was going to confront Pharaoh, perhaps his, his arch enemy. And God was saying, I want you to go there. And, and that's what Moses had to do. It took a lot of faith for him to follow God's words. And then with Jesus, remember the blind man that was born blind? Jesus takes some mud from the earth or he takes the clay and he spits in it and then he puts it on the man's eyes and he says, now I want you to go to, go to that pool over there and wash your eyes out. I want you to wash out the blindness. This man didn't even know who Jesus was, didn't even know his name. And there he was being called to go to this pool called Siloam, which means sent. He was being sent to a pool named Sent. He was to go in his blindness, not knowing where he was going to go, not knowing what was going to happen. But that's what Jesus was calling him to do. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then when Mary Magdalene and one of her friends went with her to the tomb in one of the gospels, we, well, in the, uh, in Matthew's gospel, we read of Mary and, and, and her friend, they go to the tomb and they find it empty. And, and then they look in and they see there's an angel there. And the angel says, I want you to go quickly and tell his disciples 
Jesus has been raised from the dead. I mean, here they're looking at an empty tomb. They have no reason to believe he's been, uh, been raised from the dead. In fact, in some of the other Gospels, uh, Mary thinks he's been stolen. And here an angel is telling her, I want you to go and tell the disciples that he's been raised from the dead. She had to go in faith, believing. And Philip, when he was called by, the, by God to go down that desert road, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Is what the Spirit says to, to uh, Philip. Philip has to go down this road. He doesn't know what he's going to encounter. He doesn't know he's going to end up meeting a, an Ethiopian eunuch that happens to be the, the treasurer of the Queen, of Cand- uh, Queen Candace. He doesn't know that this Ethiopian is going to be reading from the book of Isaiah looking for some direction. He doesn't know that this man's going to be converted and will be baptized in some oasis along the side of the road. He doesn't know any of that. All he knows is that he's supposed to go. He's supposed to go toward this road, this desert road. That's what God is saying to Philip. And Ananias, Ananias is told by the Lord, get up and go to the street called Straight. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Ananias was a believer in Jesus and he lived in Damascus. And Saul was a Pharisee at that time and he was coming with papers to arrest people that were followers of Jesus. He was going directly to Damascus. Maybe he had Ananias on his list of of people that he would take away, maybe take back into Jerusalem. Maybe Ananias was one of the ones that was going to be killed for his blasphemy. But yet the Lord says to Ananias, I want you to go to this place where there's a man named Saul. I want you to go there. I want you to put your hands on his eyes. He's been blinded on the road now, and, he's, and I have work for him to do, and I want you to go there. It must have taken a lot of faith for Ananias to do that. Don't you see, over and over and over again in the Bible, God is telling people to go often where they don't want to go. The word go appears over 1,200 times in the Bible. It seems clear to me that if we are believers in God, then we have to believe that we are a sent people. We are being called to go just as surely as all these persons I've just mentioned are called to go. Just before Jesus left his disciples for one last time, he said to them, go, go. And he told them where to go and what he wanted them to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's that's the mission of the United Methodist Church. If you look in the book of discipline, you'll find out that the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our mission. That's what we're here for. It's not to help people feel warm inside. It's not, it's not to give them nice bread or, or have some coffee in the back and have nice, comfortable chairs to sit in. That's not our purpose, as wonderful as that is. It's not to, it's not to create a fellowship where everybody feels like the, you know everybody knows my name. It's not to fill this church with with warm bodies or or to fill out uh, attendance pads or to uh, fill out uh, membership roles and say this is how many people belong to First United Methodist Church. As wonderful as all those things are, that's not the purpose of the church. It's not even to do good works, as wonderful as that is, as important as that is. It's to make disciples of Jesus, to make followers, believers, People who have come to realize that God has come into the world 
to show us the way to life. You see, we're, we're not just about giving people fish. We're, we're about teaching people to fish. We're, we, you know, we're, we're about helping people to become followers of Christ so they can find the life that God wants all of us to have. And that's precisely why Jesus wants us to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, not all of us will have the opportunity to take water and put on a little baby's head or, or to go down to the river and dunk someone under the water. Not all of us are going to have that opportunity, but all of us are going to have the opportunity to immerse people in the fullness of God into the creator and redeemer and sustainer of the universe. You see, God is not one-dimensional The God who creates doesn't just create us and then walk away. God is not that one-dimensional God who gets us out of trouble when maybe we're, you know, we're faced with some tragedy or difficulty in our life and we pray to God, please help me. If you do this, I'll do that. And then God walks away. That's not the kind of God we worship. God is three-dimensional, one who creates and continues to show us a better way in our living every single day, every single moment of our lives. One who by example, the example of Jesus that we read about in the Bible, by example shows us that self-giving love is the only way to wholeness, to live within the wholeness of God. We are called to go and make disciples of this three-dimensional God. By teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what he says to the disciples, doesn't he? In other words, how are you going to do that? How are you going to make disciples? How are you going to immerse them in the three-dimensional God that we're speaking about? Well, you're going to do it by teaching them what I've commanded you. And what, what did Jesus teach for three years? What did he tell over and over again to the disciples? What was his primary teaching moment. It was the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that there is a way to live among each other that was ordained by God, a kingdom of love and mercy and honesty and hope and peace and justice and forgiveness. And sometimes we we lose sight of that. We get caught up in, into our own, little, our own little world and what we think is most important. And the whole time the kingdom is out here and we've, we've lost track of it. The kingdom of God is much more inclusive than we would ever dream. So when Jesus says go, he's sending us out into the world to invite people to become citizens of this kingdom. That's not an easy task. It's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. He might as well be telling us to build a boat in the middle of the desert. He might as well be telling us to leave everything behind, everything that's familiar to us, and to go where we don't know where we're going to go. He might as well be telling us to confront our worst enemy or walk blindly to a pool with our eyes full of mud or believe that the dead can really be raised. As, as impossible as those things are, that's exactly what God was calling people before us to do, and that's what God is calling us to do today. It really does seem like an impossible task if you think about it. That's why we often avoid doing it. We don't want to do it because it's too hard. We go in the opposite direction like Jonah did. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, capital of Assyria, 
hated enemy of the Hebrews. That's where God wanted him to go because God wanted to save those people. But Jonah didn't want them to be saved because they were his enemies. And so he got in a boat to go in the opposite direction. But you know how that story turned out. Well, God is calling us to go to our own Nineveh's. But sometimes we just get caught up in our own little in our own little world of laws like the Pharisees did, you know. They thought everything was so important about how you eat and how, how you walk and what work you do and don't do. And so often we as Christians, we read the Bible and we read about those Pharisees and we say, those were those Jewish leaders. We're not like that. No, we're followers of Jesus. But you see what we've done, we've become Christian Pharisees. We've created our own little world, our own little world of little laws that we've put together about how people are to be and act and do before we will even attempt to love them. Don't we do that? And we start fighting over things like circumcision and transubstantiation or abortion or homosexuality. In the time of Paul, it was circumcision. Wow, that was really important. It's not important to us today, but it was important to him then. That's because God said in the Bible, you know, all men who, be, who became followers were to be circumcised. And so all the Jewish leaders of Paul's day, that's what they thought Christians had to do before they could become a follower of Jesus. It was very important to us. We go, ah, what's circumcision? But yet they, they were willing to just, they were willing to push aside the Savior of the world because that was so important to them. And during the Reformation, people were burned at the stake because, because they saw the faith in a little bit different way. And they saw the bread and the wine changing in a way that others didn't see it. And what are our issues today? Abortion, homosexuality, you name it. It's not to say that these issues are unimportant. It's just to say, are they as important as what we think they are? You know, it's actually easier for us to fight over our differences than it is to accept our differences and go where God leads us. You know, at this general conference, there were actually people who were willing to split the church in half over an issue that, granted, is important. But is it that important? It's kind of like the two women that came to King Solomon with that one baby. They both claimed to be the mother of the baby. And at least one of those women were willing to have the baby cut in two to prove her point so she could be right. Are we also willing to kill the child for the sake of our pride? John Wesley, I think, wrote about this subject in a sermon in 1771 he called a Catholic spirit. I'd like to read a portion of that sermon. Is your heart right toward your neighbor? Do you love as yourself all mankind without exception? If you love those only that love you, what reward do you have? Do you love your enemies? Is your soul full of goodwill, of tender affection toward them? Do you love even the enemies of God, the unthankful and unholy? Does your heart yearn over them? Could you wish yourself temporally accursed for their sake? And do you show this by blessing them that curse you and praying for those that despitefully use you or persecute you? 
If you are thus minded, may every Christian say yes. If you are but sincerely desirous of it and following on until you attain, then your heart is right as my heart is with your heart. I do not mean embrace my modes of worship or I will embrace yours. This also is a thing which does not depend either on your choice or mine. We must both act as each is fully persuaded in his own mind. Hold fast to that which you believe is most acceptable to God, and I will do the same. I believe the Episcopal form of church government to be scriptural and apostolic. If you think the Presbyterian or independent is better, think so still and act accordingly. I believe infants ought to be baptized and that this may be done either by dipping or sprinkling. If you are otherwise persuaded, be so still and follow your own persuasion. It appears to me that written prayers are especially useful, particularly in the larger congregation. If you judge extemporaneous prayer to be of more use, act suitable to your own judgment. I have no desire to dispute with you one moment upon any of the preceding topics. Let all these smaller points stand aside. Let them never come into sight. If your heart is as my heart, if you love God and all mankind, I ask no more. Give me your hand. Isn't that really what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about? Having a heart that loves God and loves our neighbor. If we really do that, everything else pales in comparison. Everything, not just some things, but everything. You know, when I was younger... I could have made a list of all the black and white issues in my life. And as I've gotten older, life has gotten grayer for me in, in more ways than one. But the things that I thought were so critically important, I've come to realize it's not that they're unimportant. It's just they pale in comparison to loving God and loving our neighbor. Years ago when I was in seminary, I had the occasion to go to Carowinds with a colleague of mine and, named John and his wife, Norma Jean, and their little boy, Kurt, who was, I'm going to guess, two or three years old, very young, young boy. Now, mind you, this is a little Caucasian boy with blonde hair. I mean, bright blonde hair and blue eyes. And we, we went to the to Carowinds. Not, do you know where, is it South Carolina or North Carolina? I can never remember. I think it's near Charlotte, so I'm not sure which side of the line it's on. But anyway, they had one of these roller coasters that went upside down, you know. And I said, oh, look, I'll make the sacrifice. I'll watch your boy here. You all go ahead. I know he can't go on that, you know. So Kurt and I stayed below, and they went on the ride, and there was kind of a lake between the roller coaster and us, and so there was a, a split rail fence, and we kind of leaned on that fence. He leaned on the lower one, lower rung, and I on the top one, and we looked out across the lake. And a few moments went by, and I looked over at Kurt, and 
looked kind of right over his head, and I saw a little black boy that was standing there looking straight at Kurt. And, and the contrast couldn't have been more pronounced. This African-American boy, this little Caucasian white boy, and he was looking at Kurt with this great big smile on his face, and it was like he had, he had come to a candy store, and he was just beaming, looking at Kurt, just standing there looking at him. No one else was around. I mean, there were a lot of people around, but nobody saw what was going on. And I, and I said, Kurt, Kurt, I think you got a friend there. And Kurt turned and looked. And as soon as he saw his, his face, his face lit up. And they ran to each other. And then they started this circle. They started one chased the other. And, and then without speaking, not a word was ever spoken during all of this. All of a sudden, it's like they were... They were transmitting some kind of communication that you couldn't hear or see. And, and they would stop. And then they'd turn around and, and they'd run in the opposite direction. They would just do this. And they did this for an endless amount of time. And then the time came that a couple that appeared to be the parents of the little African-American boy turn and they didn't they really weren't even watching what was going on I was the only one who was observing this and and they just kind of called to him come on we got to go got to go and and they started off and so the boys they both stopped and and then they they faced one another and I'm telling you you couldn't put your finger between their noses they were face to face big smiles on their faces and they were just gleaming at, at each other they 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 were just so thrilled to have had this moment together and then without a word, so unexpectedly, Kurt just took the little black boy's face in his hands and he kissed him. He kissed him. And then they parted. And I looked around. I said, does anybody see this? Does anybody have a camera? Do you see what's going on here in the deep south? We got a little black boy and a little white boy, and they're kissing each other right here in public for all the world, for God to see. I felt like I was standing on holy ground. And then they parted. How often do we see world, the world as black and white and not realize it's, uh, there's a lot more gray in the world than, than we ever realize? And that's what God wants to happen. It's God wants us to love one another. God wants, God wants us to call out to people to become citizens of the kingdom of God that brings us all together, regardless of who we are and what we've done or where we're going. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He might as well have said all people. In other words, go and love God and love your neighbor. It won't be easy. It will be like building a boat in the desert. But remember, he said, I am with you always. You won't go alone. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Sometimes we're so convinced that we are right that we're willing to split the baby. Help us to love as you loved us. Amen. 